Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with recovery advocate, public speaker, and former Miss USA, Tara Connor. Thanks for coming on with me, Tara. No problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny how things come full circle because uh, I... Seven years ago, uh, or almost seven years ago, when I first got sober, I saw you speaking at the Texas Rally for Recovery in Austin, and I remember just thinking, uh, you know, honestly, I don't remember exactly what you were sharing. It was your story to some degree, but I just remember thinking, like, how, you know, passionate you were about your recovery, and I just, I was like, man, that's, that's awesome, especially for someone like me that was new to recovery, so I'm really excited to be hearing more about your story today and just more about what you're up to. Thanks. Yeah. I'm so happy to finally be on. And that's a long time ago, seven years. That was a long time. I mean, I don't remember anything from like my first few years of sobriety. I remember like pictures, but it's like, there it is. Don't remember. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was also convoluted in there. Well, so your, your journey into recovery was very public to say the least. Yes. Uh, but for those that don't know your story, what was going on and how did you end up finding sobriety? So I got sober while I was Miss USA in 2006. Um, and it was a crazy year. I, uh, the quick short story is uh, from Kentucky, started using at 14. Win Miss USA magically, never in a million years did I think I would win Miss USA, like 2,400 people in my town. I win Miss USA the next day. I live in New York. My boss is Donald Trump. My roommates are Miss Teen USA and Miss Universe. I didn't know what a cross street was. I never had Starbucks or sushi. It was insane. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I was kind of thrust into this brand new life that I was not familiar with. I was used to a far more slow pace and, and all of a sudden I have all these responsibilities and I have to look a certain way all the time. And my life was always about looking a certain way. And nine months into my reign of terror, I (laughs) tested positive for cocaine because Miss USA threw me under the bus. Ah! Mm -mm -mm. God gets us how he gets us. You know what I mean? But um, the next morning I turn on the radio station and it says, Miss USA is not a drug test for cocaine. And I was like, ooh. Wow. Okay. And then by the end of the night, I was like top 10 sports centers, top flops. So um, that's how I got sober. Um, because two weeks into that, Donald Trump was like, what are we supposed to do with this? And uh, I was like, I think that it would say a lot if you sent me to treatment and helped me. Um, it would say more about your character. And he okay. was like, great idea. Yeah. Now, I, I, I mean, so many things to ask questions about. Yeah, I did want to ask, I mean, I guess I kind of put myself in in that same position. So I, I do want to ask you about just how all that went down. Like there was yeah. the press conference, right? Where yeah. like, B- Big Donnie is, uh, you know, yeah. saying you're going to go to treatment. And yeah. but well, that's not really how it went. So the, okay, the it went, I'll give you the quick one. Yeah, so yeah. Weeks after it hits the news, right? I fly back to New York because I had to hide out because there was a sea of paparazzi everywhere. And I was the big word on the street for a very long time because a beauty queen had fallen. And I go into my press conference. They hand me my resignation papers. Mm. And he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? You're like running out on the town. You're kissing girls. You're dancing on tables. I was like, I never danced on tables. 
<laughs> but he says, um, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? And I just kind of put the idea in his head. I was like, well, I do think it would say more about the organization and more about your character if you helped me and let me turn this around. And he goes, Trump saves Miss USA. <laughs> I like it. That's funny. That's yeah. Funny. So that's kind of how that happened. And I don't really think that his intention was to send me to treatment. Mm. Um, word on the street is he got upset that I was actually in treatment because he wanted me out getting photographed at parties and stuff because okay. that was the idea of where that would go but right. um, but either way however that puppeteering went it saved my life yeah absolutely well I, I guess what I was thinking about is is like being the manipulator that I was um, did you have any I guess this is just what I was thinking about did you have any real intention like just where just rewind a little bit like where were you in in your disease so to speak like had you been starting to try to figure out a way out of all this like was there a part of you that really wanted treatment not at all and okay. and that's what's so crazy about um how my recovery has played out because you know when i ended up failing a drug test like let's be very clear before i go into what my ideas were at that time yeah I've been using on a daily basis since I was 14 years old. Okay. If I couldn't get a pain pill, I would drink. If I couldn't drink, I would do cocaine. So basically mm. whatever was there, I would use it. And if any of that wasn't there, I would find him. You know what I mean? Like I was always seeking something to make me feel whole in the inside because on my own, I was not a whole person. But when I was told that I was going to be going to the Karen Treatment Center and I was going to be there for a month, the only thing I was scared enough about my image and people thinking that I was like this pile of, can I curse? Yeah. Okay. This big pile of shit yeah. that I, I was basically just trying to prove to the world that I wasn't the piece of shit they thought I was. Mm. And if that meant that I wasn't going to be able to drink and use for a while, that was fine. Um, so when I went to treatment, it took me a good like two weeks to even say like, I'm an alcoholic. And I didn't say it because I knew what that meant. I said it because what I saw was that when people finally identified in treatment, they'd be like, right. you know, like wild applause. And so my whole life, I contributed wild applause to doing something right. So I was basically just walking around for literally a couple of years being like, I'm an alcoholic. This is why, because in treatment, you know, I did the steps and I was writing down the 10 reasons why I was powerless and 10 reasons why my life was unmanageable. And for me, what that looked like was I thought that that was like wrapping your car around a pole or, you know, drunk driving or going to treatment. Oh, I'm in treatment. So I must be an alcoholic. So when I finally identified it wasn't because I had conceded to my innermost self that this is a problem. It was because I was like, oh, A plus B equals C. So let me just do what, because I, I, I did have an open mind. That was the best thing that I went in with because I told myself, there's a reason why I'm here. Yeah. But later on down the road, I didn't really truly understand my disease until I was about eight years sober. Wow. In sobriety. Yeah. You know, because how old were you at the time when you got I was, sober? I got sober a week before I turned 21. Wow. So like I've never had a legal drink. Now, in all fairness, I did a lot of damage <laughs> in my six years of using because mm. I, I, I put my life on the line for the next one. I know what it's like to show up to um, a known rapist in the town's, you know, house just because I might get booze and I know that I'm going to have to pull tricks. Like I've sold my body for drugs and alcohol. Like I've, I've done the things that are deplorable and pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, but I didn't connect. I didn't connect that. I, it was a mind, body, and spirit, right? So it's like, it's a disease of a threefold nature. I knew that like, I bought into the idea that, okay, I have this allergy, right? right. Like not a breakout in handcuffs, but, right, right. but you know what happens? And I think it happens to a lot of people, they get sober is after the first like six months to a year, you're on this pink cloud because you're like, I'm not doing crazy shit. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. things just kind of start to fall into place, but eventually those feelings are still, are still there. Those, um, 
the unmanageability that lives within your body and the, the racing thoughts and yeah. trying to quiet your mind. And then I found myself doing things sober that I swore I would never do. And it was like the same thing that happens with alcohol. Like, like I swear I'll never touch it again. Yeah. So can you give an example of that? Like, what are you talking about exactly? Yeah. So I, I like, you know, get into a relationship. I'm with okay. this dude and then I've cheated on him 15 times. Okay. And I'm like, how did I do that sober? Or here's a great one. And I'm very... I'm very honest. So I always try to preface like every conversation that I have that like my, my honesty makes people uncomfortable, but it is what it is. And we've all gone through it. So if you're uncomfortable, fantastic. I gave you an opportunity to grow, but like I would put myself in that position where, you know, we've all done the thing where we've had sex without a condom and we're like, ah, ah, and you freak out because you're like, what if I have a disease? Right. What if I'm pregnant? I swore I would never do that again. And there, there go I. Once again, I'm, in, I'm doing something that I swore I would never do again. And I put myself in a position to be harmed, even though I know better, right? So I didn't understand the concept of powerlessness. I thought powerlessness meant like, ooh, once I pick it up, I can't stop it. But true powerlessness, I figured out, is that I can't make myself feel better. I can't wake up five minutes early. I can't go on a diet and stick to it for longer than three days, right? Like I have all of these ideas of what I think I should be able to do or what I should be doing or how I should be living under the delusion that I actually have the power to do that. And then what ends up happening is I end up falling off the diet, having sex without a condom, cheating on yet another boyfriend. And I put myself in these positions and I'm like, how do I keep doing this to me? Right. And it takes, I think it takes a long time for people to be able to see like, Oh, that's me. <laughs> I'm doing that. That's not a circumstance. Alcohol is not causing me to do that. Right. Yeah. So that's when like the rubber meets the road. Right. I mean, mm. especially in recovery, like once, because it does say I'm a big book thumper. It says that we've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't other things I need to recover from. Yeah. And so I do believe for me, the problem of alcohol and drugs for the, for the most part in my, in my recovery has been removed. That problem's gone. So now it's like the real shit. Like my, uh, now I've, you know, figuring out that I have mental illness, figuring out that I had a love addiction of sorts, figuring mm -hmm. out that I, um, you know, I'm continuing to put myself in these positions and I'm putting myself in a position to be hurt, living in the delusion that I'm spiritually fit. Okay. Yeah. And that's a scary day when you wake up and you're like, oh, I can't make myself feel better. Yeah. What do I do? Right. Exactly. Well, and I think really you're kind of touching on the, the difference between just sobriety and recovery mm -hmm. to, right. to a large degree. Right. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this, like I'm really loving hearing your story. And as I was because um, I knew a little bit about it, but as mm -hmm. I was doing a little bit more research before this interview, you know, I just kind of kept putting myself in in your position and just thinking about all this. One of the things I, I definitely kept thinking about is like, you know, you're, you're going through this process that, mm -hmm. that we've all gone through. It may look a little different, but it's the same it's to some good. degree. Yeah. And this transformation, so to speak. The thing that I can't really wrap my head around or I'm curious about is like, what was it like going through this in public? Because I, I mean, was there more, what do you feel like, I feel like part of you is saying there was some accountability there because you kind mm -hmm. of had to do so many people were right. watching, but yeah. I also hear you saying there was obviously a lot of pressure too. Right. Yeah. 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 It was, um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy when you get sober, I'm sorry, my back is like messed up. I've been making masks like a, like a sweatshop worker because that's what my garage is right now. So what's up? Um, <laughs> it was hard. I, I think that when you get sober in front of the public, especially around the time that I did, because the stigma was very alive when I got sober. That was 13 years ago. Yeah. Very uh, different. It's different now. Like if a celebrity comes out now and they're like, nah, I drink too much. They're like, good for you. Yeah, exactly. Let's, put him, let's put them on a magazine. Right. <laughs> and, and 
but the the magazine caption is far different than what my magazine caption was like i was called like mess usa and Mm. disgraced miss usa whereas uh, and and i don't mean this in any other way but nothing but love it's just a real example if demi lovato overdoses people are like god bless her we're praying for her right yeah so yeah. the, the stigma at that time was far different because you, it was almost like being a witch at the Salem witch trials, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to prove you're not a witch so that you don't get stoned to death. Right. And so what it did was it beat me into a state of reasonableness in a different kind of way. Um, I think, you know, when we're going through life, if we're, if we're successful and if we're doing well and while we're using, it's very hard to see like me, this could be an issue. Right. I still made it look really cute. Even, even towards the end, like I could, I could, I was functioning, whatever that is. Um, but you know, when I went to treatment and I heard about the solution, I knew that it was solving a lot of my inner turmoil. And so I knew that there was a solution because I, along with, you know, everyone else in treatment, I, I had learned like, Oh, this is like, this is an illness. Wow. That makes so much sense. Holy crap people need to know about this, right? Like I went in like just a warrior on the front lines, like, no, you need to, people are listening to you, shame me. (laughs) Like there's a solution, right? And so at first it was just, it was hard, but I also had this new lease on life and I was optimistic and I knew, I knew that it was for a greater purpose. I could see very, very easily how like, all right, like I grew up, my mom was religious. My, my, my dad had been in church and, and all of that. So you hear that a lot. Like everything happens for a reason and God has his hand all over it. So these were like ingrained in my DNA and molecules because they're my ideas. That's what I was impressed upon me. So when I was in treatment, I was like, all right, there's a reason for all of this. So even though I want to die, I must need to stick around for something because I think my story might help people. And so the first few years of me, I was an advocate at 30 days. They were having me speak at fundraisers. And all I knew was my story. Like, I didn't know solution. I didn't know the ins and outs. I didn't know that people were having a hard time paying for treatment. Like, I didn't know all of that. So over the years, I saw a lot. I saw the criminalization of addicts. I'm speaking in prisons. I'm speaking at drug courts. I'm speaking to prosecutors. (sighs) who are thinking that people having 10 and 11 DUIs is a choice. And I'm, I'm literally, I, I just had this new fire that started to burn. So, you know, there's a part of me that for the first few years being publicly sober and that all of a sudden becoming my, my life, it became my career. It became everything. So for a good up to eight years, I was just, again, trying to put on this brave face and show people that recovery works and that you can do it too, and that there's a solution, but I wasn't living in the solution. So I'm sober, but I'm dying because I'm trying to look good for people. Okay. Yeah. And so it wasn't until, you know, recently that, well, the past however many years that's been, I've been like, no, 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 this is life or death. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, I, I just can't even imagine. Well, and I think you said it really well, like, there is and it talks about this like in the promises right Mm -hmm. um a little bit it's you know this did happen for a reason and whether you're someone like you that's in the public eye or someone Mm -hmm. like me that is not uh we still it happened the reason that it happened in my mind is because i can help the next person right like if i'm able to show one person like hey there is a solution to the school you don't have to keep living that life Right. Um, then, then that's the reason. And, and I think it's really cool that I think it's just awesome when that starts to, to click, like you said, mm-hmm. at some point it did for me too. It was like, man, I feel like crap. Um, right. my life is totally screwed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully I had people around me kind of telling me that this is going to work out because otherwise yeah. I just wouldn't believe it. Right. Um, but I feel like there's a reason that I'm here. For sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, for every alcoholic, you know, you, you get a bottom, you're given a purpose. <laughs> you know what I mean? You hit yeah. a bottom, you're given a purpose. And there's something really beautiful about having that being, like, today my main purpose is to stay sober and help another alcoholic. I mean, it's the most 
beautiful thing. And it doesn't matter what scale it's on. It doesn't matter if it's on a podcast or for me, the real work is sitting in front of somebody taking them through the work. Yeah. That's, that's the real work. And, and, you know, I think for like the first eight years of my recovery, I thought, well, I'm being of service. I'm speaking all the time. I'm speaking at meetings, but I wasn't doing the work. And so, oh, okay. you know, I mean, I was going to meetings cause I, I did, I have like this whole new um, passion when it comes to long-term recovery, because I don't think people quite understand how hard that is. Because what happens is that at a certain point, when you do go to the meetings, you do go through the steps, you do start to get your life together. We always hit a wall. There always is this new spiritual bottom that we go through. And I think that even the the stigma, like even like the anonymous people talks about how people in 12 step rooms are afraid to say that they're sober because what if they relapse it like looks bad and I think that a lot of people with time either have too much of an ego or too afraid to say hey I'm, I'm really struggling like mm -hmm. suicidal you know and they're just killing themselves like it's it's a long-term sentence if you will but it's a long-term sentence of, of of service work and being a useful human being yeah. You have to take care of yourself. And it, it wasn't until, you know, I hit that, that bottom in recovery. Cause to me, like, I don't feel like I got into recovery until I was eight years sober. And I think that, you know, we hear a lot, especially in the room, just hold on to your seat, meeting makers make it. And it's like, kind of, but there's so much more to that. There's sure. so much work that we actually have to like boss up and do and it's when you get on the other side of that that's when even in the public like my stories started not changing but going deeper like I started sharing more honestly about things that people would never share about you know like having sex without a condom mm -hmm. or you know going through experiences where you know it's 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 heroic or courageous to say I was molested but it's even deeper when you go deeper than that because a lot of us have been molested but a lot of us don't want to say that a at the time I liked it and b when I found out that that was my abuser I was really sad that I couldn't love them anymore you know what I mean like yeah. those were the things that were, were eating me alive on the inside that I needed to get freedom from and so you know I think my advocacy work has changed so much into just encouraging people that it's okay if you've done dumb shit <laughs> like we've all done it mm -hmm. but there's a freedom that comes on the other side of that when you can work through it and also be able to share about it because I share things that make people cringe that they swear that they would take to their grave yeah but yeah. once I was able to be like oh a lot of people have done that shit mm -hmm. I gotta take the shame out of it so not only do we have to take the shame away from just the disease in itself we have to take the shame away from being a human being yeah, absolutely. Well, and so I just want to ask, I mean, why, why in your mind is it because I think like, okay, the conversation you and I are having right now, like I'm not shocked at all or anything, you know, because sure. I think like just being in like once you've been in recovery for a little mm -hmm. while, like that's just kind of how, I mean, I almost have to like, not like I'm not really open. Mm -hmm. Um, but I almost have to like in a conversation with someone that's not in recovery, I don't want to say like censor myself, but just depending right. on how the conversation, like, I don't want to like take them hostage with what, sure, I, sure, sure. with what, with what I'm <laughs> sharing. You know what I'm saying? But, you ever like share with people that aren't recovering? They're like, mm. yeah, yeah. This guy mm. is crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, why is it in your mind? Like, why is it important to be sharing just that that you're in recovery and this is what recovery is is all about like why do you why do you continue to do that why do you think that's important to be doing uh, i think it's important a because it's more than just like we hear it a lot all over the place these days like there's treatment and there's access and like nee, 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 like which is great we need to get that out there that used to be wordy dirts it's not like that anymore but there's a lot of people that that haven't taken that that leap of faith into recovery, whether it's going to rehab or a twelve step program or even an Al-Anon or you know any type of recovery, mm -hmm. because they're afraid. They're afraid of how it's going to make them look. And I found that that's like one of our biggest fears as human beings is looking bad. Mm -hmm. 
And that fear of looking bad prevents us from saving our lives every single day. Even in recovery, my fear of looking bad will kill me if I don't, you know, swallow my pride or bury it so that my pride doesn't bury me. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's important to not only share like, yeah, I've celebrated this many years of recovery times, whatever. I mean, time's great, but at the same time, like I just have today and I was far crazier eight years sober than I ever was using or drinking. So I think it's important to show people that, yeah, recovery is great and it looks good and it's fine and life gets beautiful and magical and the dream, the, you know, the promises do come true because they do. But there's also new things that happen in life that struggle, that we struggle with. Like, this has been one of the hardest years of my life. Like, mm. Everything's fine. Nothing's wrong. But my husband and I have been trying to have a baby for almost a year and a half now, and it's just not happening. How do you deal with that? Yeah. You know, so I mean, that's, you know, not that that's a recovery related issue, but it's related to me, which is related to my recovery. And that's something that I've really had to work on. Yeah. As far as how do I not let this eat up my self esteem? How do I not let this be like the sole focus of my life? Because what if it's not meant for me to have a child? you know so there's there's layers to it because life happens every day so I think the more that we share openly not only about the good but also about the bad like let people know that hey you're gonna eat a like a shit sandwich every now and then but how do you get through that digestion (laughs) right yeah because it's not all rainbows and butterflies like life is gonna happen like that's the guarantee so my hope is that it's like okay if I share this with you, even if it doesn't touch you for recovery, maybe if it's just going to help you with life, because mm-hmm. I need that. I need to hear other women talk about like, it's taken me five years to get pregnant, but it finally yes. happened. Or we had to do this, like this were my solutions. So it's all about creating that safe space for people. If I can give them my shame, then maybe it'll help unveil theirs so that they can be like, it's okay. That's what's important. We need to show people that being an alcoholic or an addict, it's, it's like being a diabetic. You know, it's just like we deal with life the way that we did, but there's a way to get up and out of the hopeless state of being so that we can have some hope when life does happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, and it's, it's such an interesting deal because I know that like on the flip side of what you're talking about, like sharing that like shit is going to get real, like life Mm -hmm. is still going to happen. I know that for me personally, like life got really good, really fast, Yeah, you know? And, and I think, look, like you, you put the, the alcohol and the dope down, like, your bank account grows a little bit, like right. things start yeah. to get better. You're going to start saving money until you start gambling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Until the next, the next vice comes along. But, right. but I mean, life, like on, on all levels, like relation, like everything started to get better. And, you know, part of me was almost, I didn't want to share that, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't want to share that. And, Um, and thankfully, you know, some people pointed out to me like, no, you need to be sharing this good stuff, you know, because sometimes like in, in 12 step meetings, like, you know, someone shares something kind of bad that's going on and man, it just spirals and it gets dark and it's like everyone's sharing all the bad stuff, you know? And, um, but I, I appreciate what you're saying on the other side too. It's like, you know, when things aren't going great, like I need to be honest and share Mm -hmm. that too because that's just being real real. that's what life is and it's also offering even that in itself like you know there's been posts that I've done on Instagram where I'm like I haven't brushed my teeth in three days guys I haven't showered (laughs) I haven't been able to get off my couch yeah you know because like mental illness is very real and a lot of addicts and alcoholics deal with it and I've had my experiences with depression you know Mm -hmm. and man like I just felt like, well, this is what's going on with my life. So I'm not going to give you the highlight reel. I'm going to give you my life. So it's weird when you become like a a true recovery advocate that's been doing it for a long time and kind of like going on this journey and, and allowing people to see it. And, um, 
But I think that that's what people need to hear. They need to hear like, oh, she didn't brush her teeth either. Cool. Right. I feel so much better. Cause those are the things that a lot of us get tripped up on. Like, ah, like I haven't, I haven't showered, you know, it's like, I can't pull myself out of this bed. I'm a piece of shit. That's like, that's what we tell ourselves, but it's yeah. like, no, no, you have depression right now. So maybe go get an assessment mm -hmm. because there's a solution to that as well. And there's ways to do it. But sometimes as humans, the best we can do is survive. Yeah. And if you can survive through the day, I don't even care if you've like motherfucked everyone you've come into contact with. If that's mm -hmm. the best you can do that day. You survived it. Yeah. There's better days coming. So when you do get that willingness to brush your teeth, there's solutions to pull out of it. But you know, when you're dealing with mental illness, you know, that's, that's the scary thing. When we, when we get sober, it's like, all right, we put it down. We're doing the 12 steps, the alcohol problem. Cool. But I fell under the idea that like, oh, well the 12 steps will change my medical or my, you know, chemistry in my mm. body. And that's just not true. Like if I came in with diabetes and I came into the 12 steps, I can't pray away diabetes. Yeah. Well, especially with all the cakes and stuff around, that's probably, For sure. <laughs> but, you know, but it's like, you know, with mental illness, like I felt like, oh my God, like I was so ashamed that I went on medication for that. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is a shame. Yeah. This is someone put that in my head. They're like, that's a crutch. And it's like, no, no, right. Yeah. I want to die and I can't be useful to you or anybody else. If I don't do something to fix my brain, mm -hmm. I got to treat my brain. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm glad that conversation is, I think for the most part, starting to change, you know, every now and then I'll hear about, even at some of the meetings I go to, like, I, I couldn't believe I didn't personally hear this, but I had, you know, other people telling me that people had told them in meetings, like they're not sober because sober. they're taking certain Zola. medication. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like not like Xanax like, and stuff me. like, I don't feel anything from that Zoloft. It doesn't even make me sleepy. And yeah. to me, anything that makes me sleepy is a free lapse. And I'm like, right. if that's, that's not a relapse. You don't need, there's no effect. It's just like one day your windshield isn't as dirty. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Some of that is just kind of ridiculous. So I'm, I'm glad that's, I'm glad the conversation about mental illness and, and other issues is kind of changed. It used to be, I mean, it's still sometimes like this taboo thing and it's like, right. why, why so many of yeah. us are dealing with it. Like in, it doesn't yeah. make, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, yeah, you know, I, I look at some old timers and I'm like, maybe you should get an assessment. Yeah. yeah. Because I just couldn't imagine yeah. like 30 years sober and just being bah humbug every single day of my life. And I've also seen way too many, like even in the past year, mm -hmm. people with decades of sobriety, one threw himself in front of a train, one put a gun to his head. Yeah. Like, listen you know, yeah, you're sober, you're being of service, you're doing all of that. But my sponsor was incredible. Like I, I was going through the work. Okay. And the last time I went through the work, I was going to a meeting every single day. I didn't mm -hmm. miss one, no matter what. Every day I went to a meeting. I read, uh, I read out of the big book for at least an hour a day. And when I was in my writing portion with fourth step, any of that stuff, I would at least write for an hour a day. My fourth step had over 500 names on it. Wow. I, my binder that is was thorough. It was thorough. Yeah. Like, cause I didn't want to miss anything. Cause I, I finally understood like, Oh, there's freedom on the other side of this. I made 400 amends. All of them. Wow. I made all of the amends. Wow. And so when I did get to the, and, cause the promises are the ninth step promises. Mm. It's like, once you are in that ninth step and you do that handshake with God where you're like, all right, homie, let's go out there and fix this shit so we can get to use. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they do come true. And I started to realize that. But when I was in the middle of my fourth step, I'm going to meetings, praying and reviewing, meeting with my sponsor, doing more work for my own recovery than I'm doing for anything else in my life, even work. Like recovery came first for like three years because I almost died, you know? So I'm in it and my sponsor looked at me and I was like, is it normal that I can't stop crying? Like, and that I'm tired and that, I, I mean, just unmanageable, just living in unmanageability while seeking God. It was crazy. And he was like, I think you need to get an assessment. And he gave me that freedom. It could like make me cry because it changed my life. I suffered my whole life because no one gave me that freedom to not suffer. Hmm. So I think that's why I do what I do. You know, like I want to give somebody that freedom so that they can like stop beating themselves up and like live because even during a pandemic, there are things to live for. There are yeah. things that we can do. We don't have to suffer. 
Yeah. No one deserves to suffer. No, not, not at all. I'm glad you just said that, you know, um, I think there's been a lot of conversation lately about what recovery looks like right now. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and recovery looks like what you and I are doing for the most part. I mean, a lot of it, the meetings, you know, they're all like, literally feels like I'm in a meeting right now. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so the zoom meetings are, are popping and, Mm -hmm. um, I was actually really impressed. I know you're out in LA and uh, a buddy of mine sent me a list. Like this was weeks ago, weeks ago of all the the meetings in LA. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And I'm here in Houston and we were kind of, you know, a little behind you guys with the quarantine and all that. But I was like, yeah, that, that needs to happen here too. So I thought that was really cool. But a lot of the conversation has been, you know, how how do I stay on top of my recovery and a lot of getting back to the basics and I think it's hey you know what even though I can't go to a meeting in person right now necessarily right um, all the stuff you just mentioned you know getting back into step work you know journaling and you know because it's like like my background is in fitness and nutrition so I always relate things to like working out you know and it's like you're in the gym for an hour, maybe an hour and a half a day. We can't what, do that here. Yeah, we can't do it here. Well, I have a pretty legit home gym, so I'm I'm all, <laughs> I'm all set. <laughs> I feel like one of the the privileged few right now, yeah. but no, but it's like, you know, you're you're in the gym an hour a day. What's going on the other 23 hours a day? And that's kind of the way I'm thinking about this. It's like, man, there's so much other stuff that we right. can be doing. Yeah for our recovery. Now you, you were talking about old timers and I just want to rewind here for a second. Um, you and I both got sober at a pretty young age. You mm-hmm. definitely like a few years ahead of me. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges you think you ran into just in terms of getting sober younger and, and just mm-hmm. what was your experience around all that? I think that there was a part of it where when you do get sober before you can even legally drink, (laughs) it's kind of like you do go through that experience of, well, maybe I was just young. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I just needed therapy. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. I just, I'm so grateful that I'm grateful for my experience because me having so many eyeballs on me for so many years, just like people waiting for me to fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, that kept me sober for a long time. Even when I was miserable, that saved my life, you know, like, and, and it's amazing how like, it's funny how God works. People are like, where's God in that? And I'm like, well, God was in my ego on that one because that kept me sober. You know, I mean, there's like, there's so many positives to every single negative And I don't know, like it was tough here's the thing, the meetings and stuff that I was going to, and I'm not knocking meetings. I'm not knocking any program. I'm not knocking any of that. I, I didn't really have the ears maybe to hear it. But when I finally went to a meeting where I heard the real, like the solution, whether it was step-based and book-based, I was like, it pissed me off because here I am at like eight and a half years sober, listening to someone who has less time than me, tell me that maybe I should do the steps. And I'm like, don't you know who I think I am? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and you know, like my sponsor, I have a male sponsor. He scares the shit out of me. I got him out of South central. His name is Eric, but he has saved my life. Like I go to him and trust. He married my husband and I like he's family at this point. He has less time than me, but he knew that book like the back of his hand. And I trust him with my life. And I just knew like, you know, the truth, the truth, Anytime you get mad, anytime someone says something to you and your knee-jerk reaction is to either like have your inner alter ego that wants to like be petty, just when that happens, it's time to do some work, Hmm. right? Even if it's like coming from a good place when someone's like, maybe you should do this. And you're like, like, who do you think you are? It's like, maybe you should do that. And I think that that's what I struggled with. I didn't hear the truth in a lot of meetings because I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of recovery around. There's a lot of good stuff, but I really do think that like I'm that hopeless type, man. Like I'm the real one. I'm not that moderate drinker. I'm not that hard drinker. Like I'm very clear because I had a very thorough first step experience at eight years sober. I'm very clear that my life is on the line. Mm-hmm. And when you go to 
a lot of those frothy, you know how it says in the big book, like frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Like those were the type of meetings that I was going to. In Hollywood, a lot of people want to show up because so-and-so's there. Okay. Or, you know, like that's the cool place to be because it right. can get, you know, I needed to go like, like I heard the solution on Skid Row. <laughs> I went to a meeting because I followed a girl, this guy had broken up with me and I was like, don't you know? Anyway, I'm like, you're a bartender. And I'm like, he can break up with you. Like, you're kind of crazy, right? So I'm going downtown. My life's falling apart in my head. And that's where I met my sponsor. Because he's like, how you doing? And I was like, <laughs> I just moved into a place that I don't know if I can afford. My dude's a piece of mm, Like, he won't go to therapy. I uh, don't know when my next check's coming in. I don't know. How the fuck are you? And he was just like, if you need someone to take you through the steps, I'd be honored. Wow. And it pissed me off. And he said to me, oh, is your boyfriend not acting the way that you need him to for you to be comfortable? And that, that phrase changed my life. Because I, I was like, what? oh yeah, he has free will. <laughs> you know, so it, it just, I finally heard what I needed to hear. And I finally, you know, had had the experiences. Because we have to go through those experiences. I had yeah. to be dry for eight years to take my recovery seriously. I don't wish that on anybody. I wish I would have drank honestly, because I either would have died sooner and not suffered as long, or I would have gotten into the work sooner, mm -hmm. you know? So time means shit. It's like what you do with it. Yeah. Um, but I did, I struggled. I struggled like listening to people talk and I struggled, I struggled um, in the beginning because so many people were nice to me just because I was that new girl that was in the news, you know? Mm -hmm. Now I look so different. From, when, from back then, like when I hit my bottom, like I don't have bangs, I don't have the long, long, I have tattoos now. And so like, I'm just a person amongst persons and I love it, love it. I mean, sometimes people be like, meet me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. But <laughs> when I finally heard, when I finally heard the solution and it hit my spirit, I was like, ooh, that's, that's the stuff that I need to start talking about. Cause there, it's, it's not just like, oh, it'll get better. No, it won't, there's some work to do. You know, what I think is cool is, and, you know, I, it's just an interesting deal. I don't know if it's just like, I personally do think that, that recovery is going through an evolution of sorts and, yeah. you know, 12 step or not, like things mm -hmm. are, things are changing. The conversation's changing. One thing that I think is really cool and, and I'm just really loving hearing your story because your story, it, like everyone's story is different, right? Like, mm -hmm. and, and there are these suggestions. And I think like, for the most part, like a lot of them are, are coming from a pretty like common sense place and like make a lot of sense. But then there are things that I think that like people have kind of like set down as rules that don't necessarily fit everybody. I mean, what you're telling me right now is that you know, at eight years sober, like you were not happy. You were not where you wanted to be. Right. And it took you, you know, and you hadn't gone through the steps yet. And it took no, you. No, I had. You I had, had gone, gone through the steps. Yet. Okay. However. But, yeah. It was just a frothy way of going through the steps. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You hadn't gone through the steps thoroughly. Thoroughly. Yeah. Okay. And it took you getting a male sponsor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to, to start getting on the right track. I mean, and I hear that type of stuff a lot these days, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like, you're, things are going to fit people differently. Right. And I think it's, you know, to thine own self be true, right? Like, yeah. what, do, what do I really need um, to, to be able to do what I need to do and move mm -hmm. forward and help, help, you know, the next right. person in line? Yeah. You know? um, and it is so, yeah. really weird right now. I mean, because even some of my beliefs are being challenged right now. Like I used to feel like you must take your body to a meeting. Well, does that still count though? Now that like, even like I wouldn't even FaceTime with a sponsee to do, or my sponsor to do step work, like yeah. face to face. That's the rules. Right. That's our rules. It's not mm -hmm. like written stone, but that's what has worked. And now it's like, oh, we gotta, we have to switch it up. Like that's what's so crazy about this whole pandemic and how it it's is. affecting everyone. We're all the same. And the rules have changed. Yeah. Everything's yeah. changed. Yeah. And so I think it's like, how do we get through this together? I can tell you that like, 
I like being on meetings while I'm cooking dinner. It's great. Man, I, I was just going to say, like, I've hit more meet, like, been in more mm-hmm. meetings recently than I have in a long time. I've connected yeah. with more people. Like, I think it's pretty cool. It is, but it's because we aren't too busy for our recovery right now. That's right. And it's like, I mean, life has like completely changed for most of us that, that, you know, aren't working right now or whatever. I mean, Mm. I've been very busy sewing, but you know, it's amazing how when we spend so much time, like this is the first time I've put on makeup and that was for you. Like, (laughs) I don't like, I was dreading it just because I'm Wait, my my wife's about to cut my hair hair here in a minute, so I'm I get it. My hair, (laughs) and he's a seamstress. It's totally straight, (laughs) but we're all the same right now. We're all in the same playing field. Like we're all in this together, and we're all equal. And I think that's the first time that that's happened because in life, when we have time to hustle and prove ourselves and come something and prove these people wrong, prove ourselves right, like none of that can happen right now. Hmm. So we're being forced to sit down and deal with ourselves, our real selves and meeting people in that state of mind, because no one's hustling right now. We're all just trying to get by. When's the last time that's happened? Yeah, very, very true. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's, like it's been an interesting thing because I've seen people and, you know, from some of the groups that I attend and like my club and stuff like that, that they're, you know, when this didn't, when everything was uncertain as to whether like we'd really be on lockdown or whatever, like there were people that like vowed, like I will not be in an online meeting. Right. That is not for me. Right. That's who I'm seeing almost every day. Right you know? And so, and it's actually pretty cool. You know, I mean, there are some old timers and I'm like, man, I'm kind of like seeing these, you know, actually seeing these people here, you know? And I've been in meetings with people all over the country, all over the country. Like usually when you go to meetings, you see the same faces, you see everything. But like I was in this uh, meeting two, uh, yes, two days ago. And I was hearing someone that like lived in Canada share. And it just like, ripped my heart open and then I heard from his mother who was an Al-Anon who was in the same meeting like talking about her own experiences and I mean you hear so many different things because we all are in our relative bubbles when we're at home but like just hear different recovery and being like oh like no matter what path that you take to recovery we're all doing it together. We're all in it together, whether it's steps, whether it's therapy, whether it's psycho, like psychotic stuff, like, you know, shooting laser beams in your head, magnetics, like whatever, like, as long as you're willing to do something and take direction, that's, that's the main thing, no matter what step that you take in recovery or in your life, you have to be willing to not do it your way. Hmm. And as long as you're willing to do that, you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. One thing I definitely wanted to ask you about is uh, your show, Real Talk 100. Yeah. Which I've watched a couple episodes of. So tell us about it. So Real Talk 100 is basically a, uh, it's like a talk show slash podcast that's completely on hold right now. <laughs> um, I, have you ever, have you ever had contact with Jessica Landon? No, but I'm planning on, on getting a hold yeah, of her. She's yeah. great. So she and I connected just through being recovery advocates. I read about her story, fell in love with her. And now she's one of my best friends. Like I call her new child, my baby. <laughs> um, she and I decided when we were just listening to some of the conversations that we have on the couch, we were like, Oh my God, this, you can't write this stuff. Like it's crazy. Um, so we started uh, a, a little show called real talk 100 and, and it's all about real talk. Like we don't want to hear fluff. We don't want to hear like, you know, how great your life is and like <laughs> what you're working on right now. Like we really want to hear like, okay, tell me about the worst time in your life and how yeah. you got you know well, like, one of the episodes i was watching was what is the guy's name that was on the hills jason waller yeah jason yeah and like that was some real talk like he oh, was yeah. he was breaking down like it was one of the best interviews i've ever seen him yeah, do that was that was really brother. good but i even told him i was like something shifting in you right now um but i think that's important because you know a lot of times when we do you know it, whether it's a podcast or talk show or whatever even if it's like an article like 
a lot of times it's like, what are those set questions? I mean, it's the questionnaire that you sent me, like, what do you want to talk about? And it's right. like, I think that it's so important. Like, let's talk about the real stuff, you yeah, know? Exactly. And that's what I love to hear. So um, it's, it's actually shifting up. Like Jessica and I literally shot our own episode where we're doing it like a fly on a wall in our living room and um, got it all set up, had a great episode hour long and her mic wasn't on. <laughs> So, you know, that takes work figuring it out. But when the pandemic's over, obviously we will check it out. But um, you can go to evertalktv.com. It's on Evertalk. It's probably on YouTube. We haven't even promoted it yet. Like we haven't even like, we didn't even know the episodes were up. That's how she's a new mom. I work a lot. Like it's fun. So it'll pick up. It won't. But if you guys want to watch some new content, yeah, check out Real Talk 100. You can go to Evertalk TV. Um, there's, it's probably on YouTube. I'll promote it on my Instagram. It's fine. You'll okay. see it. Tara awesome. Connor, Tara E. Connor, some bitch stole my name. <laughs> I, I did notice that actually. I was like, how Isn't did this other awesome? person, how did this other person get it? Maybe we need to do something about it. Yeah. Give me my name. Back. I know. I know. All right. Well, so before we wrap up here, what is, and I think you've already shared a lot of great advice, but what is one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation? Oh man. I think right now, just try to be honest with yourself. And if you're going through a hard time, you got to open up to somebody like, don't live with that. I always find that the things that I need to talk about are the ones where I'm like, I don't want to tell my sponsor this, or this is trivial. But if it's something that's on your mind and you're kind of embarrassed to talk about it, talk about it because you're going to get so much freedom at the end of the day. Like how free do you want to be? Like, that's my question I have for them. How free do you want to be? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome advice. And man, you're so right. Like the stuff that I the stuff I don't want to talk about, like that's where the resentments building mm -hmm. up or that's where like the anger or whatever is, is really uh, getting worked up under. Especially when stuff. you're married. Like when you're yeah. just like, <sighs> mm -hmm. this is fine. It's not like, I don't need to talk about this, but like, you're just like noticing like you didn't pick up the potty pad. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Like those are like, those are little hangnails, but those yeah. are the things that gets us. Like it's like a thousand true. little tricks like that, that can take us out. We just, forget about them. but they're in there. Yeah. So how free do you want to be? That's awesome advice and, and great question to, to ask ourselves. So you can connect with Tara by following her on Instagram at Tara E. Connor. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming on today with me, Tara. Thank you. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.